You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. Well, you guys came ready to sing this morning. That was that was awesome time of worship. That was awesome to just be able to hear the the church body come together and just praising God, praising his name. That was it's always exciting to me to be able to sit up here and to hear you guys singing and just I don't know. I'm always just amazed at just what it's gonna be like one day whenever we're in heaven when and all the the voices will be just singing God's name, singing his praises. Well, so one thing that many people don't know about me is that I spent six years serving in the Army. Um, yes, the, the big red beard does not give that away one bit. Um, but whenever I first started my, my six-year adventure with the, with the Army, uh, they sent me on this all-inclusive, all-expenses-paid trip to lovely Fort Jackson. And if you don't know where Fort Jackson is, it is in the just breathtaking Columbia, South Carolina. And when I say breathtaking, it's because the heat is so miserable. It literally sucks the breath out of you. Don't worry, I gave my Yelp reviews. Um, but during my time there at basic training, uh, the, the drill sergeants really ingrained in us this idea of having a battle buddy. And, uh, and the purpose of a battle buddy was um, someone that you really wouldn't go anywhere without. It's someone that uh, you were always you know, responsible for them. You looked after them. If they messed up, you were the one who was there to hopefully bring that correction to them. So uh, my battle buddy was this guy named Hunter. And we were basically each other's shadow. We went everywhere together, and everyone in our platoon was the exact same way. Everyone had a battle buddy. Well, one day I had to get to first formation a little early, so I didn't get a chance to make sure that, that Hunter was doing what he was supposed to do. So uh, we hours in the morning, I'd kind of give him a little nudge, make sure, hey, man, wake up, we got to get going. Uh, but I didn't stick around to, to make sure that he got up. Well, during first formation, it was brought to my attention that, well, Hunter didn't make it to, to first formation. He was running a little late. And then shortly thereafter, my drill sergeant found out that exact same information. And, and at that point, the fun began. We were, we were forced to sprint upstairs back to the room where we were all staying, found Hunter still asleep in bed. And at that point, uh, my drill sergeant passionately woke him up and um, encouraged him to get ready for the day. And so he goes off, shower, shave, all, all, the, all the stuff to get ready. The rest of us, however, uh, we didn't get to just hang out, kick back, relax. No, we were doing push-ups. Um, and at this point, I thought the man took the longest shower known to man. <laughs> like, we were doing push-ups until our arms were falling off. See, it didn't matter how high speed the rest of us were. It didn't matter that the rest of us were capable of getting ourselves up, getting ready, getting to the first formation on time, because we left our battle buddy down. You know, we didn't take care of our community, and therefore our community, as well as Hunter, suffered. So why I tell you this story? Well, we've been working our way through 
our study of Galatians and, uh, and the study that we've entitled uh, Freedom in Christ. And we've spent the first uh, four chapters or so of Galatians, and Paul's been addressing the, the question of how are we made free in Christ. See, there's these group called the Judaizers, and they've been saying that, yes, you are saved through Christ, but there's also the law that you must keep. You must look this way, do these things, say these certain things in order to be saved. And so Paul has been spending the first four chapters refuting that, saying that, no, salvation is through Christ alone, through faith in Christ alone. It's not because of anything that we can do, anything that you can do, it is through Jesus' finished work on the cross that we are saved. And so as we um, move into the last two chapters of this study, Paul's focus has kind of shifted from how are we made free in Christ to how should we live free in Christ. And so we really camped out in chapter 5 for a good while um, and made this distinct comparison between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit and someone who is yielding to the Spirit. And so as we close out chapter 5 and look ahead to, to chapter 6, we're really left with this one verse here at the end of chapter 5, and it's verse 26, and it says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. See, as, as we're closing out chapter 5, Paul gives us this warning to not be conceited, provoking, or envious. And, and that might seem a little odd given the fact that we were just talking about the fruit of the Spirit and, and walking in the Spirit. It's almost like if, if we're walking in the Spirit, why do we even need this warning? But though we may be walking in the Spirit, though we may be exemplifying this fruit, we're still at war with our flesh. And Satan can use that sin nature that we all have to cause us to be proud, to be boastful. And so Paul's warning is saying that don't let the fruit of the Spirit become a, a source of pride in you. See, we can think that because we're walking in the Spirit, because we're exemplifying these fruit that maybe our thoughts or our perceptions or whatever are really always right and becomes very self-centered, very me-focused. And isn't that really what the world tries to teach us to do anyways, to become very me-focused? It's you all the time here, you do you. Spend the time doing things that benefit you. Make life about what you can get out of it. That's the, the message that the world preaches, and that's in direct opposition to what Scripture says. See, in Romans 12, 1, Paul says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. See, if you're a Christian here this morning, the focus of your life should be, how do I bring God glory and honor with all that I do? Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, saying, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Christ willingly gave his life 
on the cross so that sinners like you, sinners like me, may be united in uh, perfect unity with him. Therefore, Ephesians 6, 6 calls us to be a bondservant of Christ so that we are to do the will of God. So as it relates to our text here in Galatians this morning, Paul says that since we have been made free in Christ, we should use that freedom that we have to God's glory to be outward focused. We should look to take care of those around of us, around us, those of who are in our community. We should look to be battle buddies for one another that others can depend upon. So as we move into chapter six, we're going to discuss how to live free in community that God has placed us in. So if you haven't already, flip with me to chapter uh, 6 of Galatians and stand once you get there. Starting in verse 1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have, each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he also reaps. For the one who sows his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for this morning we get a chance to come together to worship you and to dive, to get, dive in together into your word. Father, I pray that uh, you speak through me this morning, Lord. It's not about anything I have to say, but Father, solely about what you have to show us this morning, Lord. Father, I pray that uh, your word convicts where it needs to convict, Lord. And Father, if there's someone here this morning who has not surrendered their life to you, Father, I pray they don't leave here this morning without making you Lord of their lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. You can be seated. So if we're going to spend our time this morning discussing living free in community, we need to first define what are we talking about when we, when we mean, when we say community. Because, de- you know, depending on the context here, you know, community can mean a number of things. You can live in the Jonesboro community. Risen life can be your church community. However, when we're talking about biblical community in the community in this context we're talking about 
those people that you are intimately doing life with, the people who are going to be there and, and celebrate those highs of life. They're going to sit in those lows with you and help get you back on your feet. These people know you so well that they know what motivates you, and they know whenever you're wrestling with something. These people walk so closely in life with you that they know you. And though I think we have a great church family here, and I really mean that whenever I say we have a church family, I think a lot of you would agree with that. You know, as relatively small as we are, you can't intimately know everybody in this room. And that's why we here at Risen Life, we push small groups so much because it's a place where you can walk closely with people, where you can grow spiritually, be held accountable, lift one another up in prayer. And so if, if you haven't been able to, to, to plug into a small group yet, I encourage that again. I'm going to keep plugging that. I'm going to keep plugging it because I think it's so vital to our walk as Christians. But I know that our current small group schedule doesn't work for everybody and their schedule, and that's fine. But my challenge to you is where are you finding that community of believers? Where are you finding that those people who are, you can walk closely with? So that's what we mean when we're referring to community. Now, Paul tells us what we're supposed to do in community, and that brings us to our first point. Paul says we are to bear one another's burdens. In verse 1, we see brothers, it can be sisters, Christians, risen life. He's talking to all of us. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. This caught in any transgression could be better understood as if sin catches up to someone or if someone has fallen into sin. If someone was wrestling with a habitual sin, then Paul says, you who are spiritual or those who are strong in their faith, like we said last week, yielding to the Spirit, someone who is exemplifying these fruit of the Spirit, you are to gently restore the one who's in sin. And the, the word for restore here in the Greek is katartizo. And it means to bring back to a former condition. It, it's a medical, re, medical term referring to how a doctor would set a fractured or dislocated bone. And I think that gives us the perfect image for understanding the dynamic of how this relationship should work, this restoring should work. Has anyone here ever broke a bone, had to have one reset? A couple people? It feels wonderful, doesn't it? There's a reason they give you drugs for that. It hurts like the Dickens, but we know that it must be done for that bone to heal, to be able to grow healthy. Likewise, it doesn't feel good whenever someone brings correction to us. It might hurt our pride a little bit. It might even make us frustrated that that person's pointing something out to us. 
Unless maybe you're Heath. Heath, welcome to that. <laughs> but we know that once we can get past that pride, once we get past whatever hurt, frustration we might be feeling, we know that that correction is necessary because hopefully it's pointing us back to the cross, pointing back to a healthy relationship with Christ. On the flip side, when a doctor is setting the bone, as he's sitting there yanking, twisting, pulling in every direction, basically treating that fracture as if it's a game of bop it, if that's your doctor, I encourage you to find a new one. Um, but no, that doctor is, is sitting there trying to figure out how to manipulate that bone in a way that will put it back in line without creating any more damage. That way there can be healing. You know, see, if, if that doctor is, is sitting there yanking and not being gentle with that fracture, then there's going to be more damage that he has to correct later. You know, I think as Christians, sometimes we see sin in others, and we so quickly jump to, I want to point this out to someone, but because we're not being gentle with it, it leads more hurt that we have to go back and fix. That's why Paul says here that we need to restore with a spirit of gentleness. And that gentleness only comes when we are yielding to the spirit. Paul goes on to say, Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted, or lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens so to fulfill the law of Christ. This term, bear one, another, bear one another's burdens, is one you hear often here at Risen Life, one that you may hear just in church communities in general. And if we don't spend the time to define it, it can just feel like a very Christianese type thing that we all just assume that we know what we're talking about. But we want to make sure this morning that we really dive in, make sure we define terms of when, we, when Paul says bear one another's burdens. And the word used here for burden is used to describe things that are, are heavy, unbearable by yourself. Things we just can't get past on our own. This could be you know, maybe a, someone in, that you know or your, yourself receives a cancer diagnosis. Maybe a loved one passes away. And then context that we're talking about here this morning specifically is Paul's talking about those sins that you just can't shake, that you keep finding yourself in. You know, maybe that's some sort of addiction. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe you just always find yourself in the middle of all the gossip. You know, it can take many shapes, but like Paul mentioned here in verse 1, it's something we just keep finding ourselves in. We keep getting caught in that sin. So how do we bear someone else's burden? And specifically within the context of a sin issue. Well, with that, the goal would always be for any Christian to ultimately lay that sin down at the foot of the cross. And so, to bear burdens with someone would mean that we come alongside them and help them find their way to the foot of the cross so they can lay that burden down, lay aside those shackles of sin and take on the joy of Christ. 
So what does that practically look like? Well, you might work with a brother or sister to regularly study Scripture together. It might just mean that you're praying for them, encouraging them. It might mean that you're encouraging them to seek out biblical counseling and, and following up with them just to see how it's going. You know, that can take on many, many, um, that can take on many different ways. Um, and I'm not trying to just prescribe this is how you do it. I'm just trying to give you an idea. We are to give of ourselves in order to see that fellow believer restored to a, to a healthy walk with Christ. Paul goes on to say that by bearing one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ, what's that? Well, I'm glad you guys asked. For that, let's flip over to, to Matthew 22, 36 through 39. It says, Teacher, which of these is the greatest, is the great commandment in the law? And he, he being Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, we are fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit, and that Spirit begins to produce fruit in our lives. Then if we use that fruit with an external focus on those that are we're in community with, then we begin to feel, fulfill that second commandment Jesus gives here in Matthew. See, you can't bear people's burdens and not love them. Bearing people's burdens is going to cause you to have to sacrifice of yourself at times. It might mean that you thought you were having a nice, quiet night in, but now that turns into you're having a Bible study with a friend. It might mean that you're trying to get your recommended eight hours of sleep every night, but now you, all of a sudden you have an emergency counseling session at two in the morning. We make sacrifices because we truly love those around us and desire to carry those burdens with them. As a Christian, our life should be marked by that love for those around us. Paul comes back and gives us a, a little bit more clarity to his point about bearing burdens. And in verse 5, Paul says, For each of you will have to bear his own load. And at first glance, it can sound a little confusing, like we're supposed to bear other people's burdens, or other people are supposed to bear our burdens, but we're supposed to carry our own load. And as we said before, that word for burden is describing something that's just heavy, something we can't carry on our own. However, the word for load here is kind of best uh, to, to describe as something that's just much lighter. It, it would be a, a perfect image is a man who's, who's traveling and he carries his backpack or 
his, his, his pack with him, like a rucksack that would carry all his, everything necessary to sustain him on his journey. Likewise, for the Christian, your load is, you're responsible for your spiritual growth. You are responsible for, for carrying those things that help nourish you on your journey. You're to dig into the word, study the word. You're to have a healthy prayer walk. You know, I think too often we look outside at others for the health of our walk with the Lord. We say, well, I'm kind of at this stagnant place right now because the pastor just didn't preach a sermon that was meant for me. Or my small group leader, he's not, he's not you know, doing something right. Or maybe my accountability partner hasn't called me in a few weeks, therefore I've kind of fallen off the wagon. And we always look to, you know, who can I point the finger to? You're the reason why I didn't grow. You're the reason why my, my walk is stagnant. And Paul says, no, you are responsible for your walk with the Lord. responsibility of maturing and our sanctification falls squarely on our shoulders. So we are to take on our own pack but be on the lookout for those who have burdens that need to be shouldered. And I think this is what makes community so tough at times. Because living in community is not about you not about me. We tend to judge things off of what can we benefit from it. You know, is this worth my time? And we, we show up to a church, we say, you know, did the pastor get me out on time? Do they have the programs that I need or the big student ministry for my kids? Are there other single boys, single girls there that I could potentially date? We look to these different things to see what, I can, what can I gain from this congregation. Instead, we should be viewing a church, we should be viewing that biblical, biblical community as, are they teaching the gospel? And is there a place where I can serve? So I ask, you know, what's your attitude towards the community you're in? Are, are you looking to help those around you or are you looking for others to serve you? There'll be times whenever you need people to come around you to help carry that burden. But more often than not in community, you're going to be the one who has to come around someone else. In verse 6, Paul gives us one final thought on bearing burdens and he does so as it relates to those who teach. He says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So to give you some context here on what Paul's talking about, the government would, would tax its people. Out of those tax dollars, it would give a small portion of that to the rabbis. But 
those who were Christian teachers wouldn't be part of that. And so Paul is encouraging the church here of Galatia to say, those who are teaching you, those who are pouring into you, who are bearing your burdens, don't neglect them. Come alongside them. Help bear their burdens. I think the application here is that there are many people who pour into our lives on a regular. You know, people who teach us God's words, God's word, and who shoulder that burden with us. You know, don't be someone who's a resource sucker. Don't turn that relationship into a one-way street. Look to those who are leading you and, and find ways you can come alongside them. You know, see how you can bear their burdens with them. You know, it's often stated that the role of a pastor can be one of the loneliest positions because there's always this expectation that that pastor is going to pour out into his congregation, but often that congregation doesn't reciprocate that. And that's not something that I think would, let me word that correctly, I think that's something we do well here at Risen Life. I do think, you know, speaking for myself, I think I can speak for Josh as well, that you guys do pour out back into us. You're always encouraging and uplifting. But I think there's always room where we can say, can I do this better? Can we be caring for others better? You know, sometimes the burdens we bear, we bring on ourselves. And that brings us to our next point, that you will reap what you sow. Starting in, in verse 7, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever your one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You know, Paul says here that God is not mocked. God cannot be deceived by our actions. You know, we might show up to church on Sunday. We, we worship God and we leave like, yeah, church was awesome. Go God. But what happens the, the remaining six days of the week? Do we spend Sunday giving God the glory and then the rest of the week glorifying ourselves? Paul says, God is not mocked. See, the law of the harvest here says that what you put in is what you get out. So if I go home today and I plant an apple seed in my backyard, what's going to sprout? An apple tree. You guys are catching on well. Heath questioned it. He wasn't sure. But if I go home and I plant a tomato seed, I get, I was waiting on tomato tree, but tomato plant, yes. <laughs> so if we sow good seed in our life, then we'll yield good fruit. But if we sow bad seed, we'll sprout bad fruit. 
See, what we sow and what we feed grows. That sin struggle that you're wrestling with today is a sin struggle that you fed in the past, and it has grown to where it's now something that's action today. See, that thought that you sowed reaped an action. That action that you sowed reaped a behavior. That behavior you sowed reaped a character. Someone who struggles with alcohol didn't wake up one day and just out of the blue be like, you know what, I'm just going to down a bottle of Patron today because that sounds great. No, it started with maybe it was a beer. Then maybe it was a six-pack. Then maybe it was just a case. And then before you know it, it became a lifestyle. And to give you another example, my three-minute testimony for you guys, some of you guys have heard it, some of you guys may be the first time. But I grew up in, in a Christian home. I, I early on gave my life to Christ. But kind of through my, my high school and, and uh, college years, I really struggled with pornography. It's something where I would fall in that sin. I'd wrestle it with it for a while. I get to the point where I'm just kind of just tired of it. And I'd be like, I'm just going to muster my way out. And I'd do that for a little while just to fall right back into that sin. And that cycle continued and continued and continued for many years of my life. So much so that to a point where in college, um, back before Paul and I were married, back before I was a pastor, I had an infidelity in my relationship. And that's not something that I just, that journey started with the end there. That's, that's a journey that had years and years and years in the building of it. It started, and maybe this might be, you know, something similar to your story, but it starts with maybe not being disciplined with your eyes, which then feeds thoughts of maybe, you know, move to magazines. Maybe then you move to www.whatever. But the point is, I was sowing bad seed in my life early on, and it kept growing and reaping worse and worse fruit. You know, maybe that's some of your all's testimony. Maybe that's, um, you know, something else that you're wrestling with. But I encourage you that when you lay that burden down at the cross, when you bring that to, to Jesus, lay down those shackles of that sin and take on the freedom in Christ, there really is true freedom in that. You don't have to be a prisoner to whatever that sin struggle is that you might be wrestling with. But it starts with laying it down at the cross and then informing those thoughts with those that will produce healthy fruit. You know, taking those, those seeds of, of an image and replacing them with a seed of, of Scripture. And fast forward, I can see how my life has drastically changed to a point where my fr the fruit in my life 
doesn't resemble the fruit that it once was. It was completely different. And that's because of laying it down, surrendering that to Christ, and then sowing healthy, good seed. So I don't know. I don't know what your all's sin struggle is with. I don't know where you're at today. But I want to remind you, what you feed grows. Paul gives us one final thought on living free in community with others. Starting in verse 9, he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. We do not give up. So then we have, so then as we have the opportunity, let us do good for some to someone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The last thing Paul has for us this morning is an encouragement. Do not grow weary. You know, bearing one another's burdens is tough. It can require a lot of us. And since we're very rebellious in nature, that restoring process isn't always linear. There's sometimes going to be seasons where there's growth, and there's going to be seasons whenever it just feels like our efforts are wasted. But Paul encourages us to keep going. And this is something that's hard for us because we are the microwave generation. We want results now. But Paul says, don't grow weary. And he says, for in due season, we will reap. We do not give up. Now, let's be clear here. Paul is not giving us some sort of prosperity gospel here. He's not saying that if you endure, you'll reap that bends when you get home sitting in your driveway today. Now, to understand what he's talking about, what we will reap, we have to take the whole passage in context here. He says, so if a brother or sister in Christ is caught in sin, and we come alongside them, bear that burden with them, that seed we are sowing will yield the fruit of them restored back to a healthy place where they can continue to grow in their relationship with Christ. That is the goal. That is what we are trying to reap. And, and keep in mind, sometimes... This fruit is not something that we'll see on this side of eternity. Sometimes you are the one who gets to harvest that fruit, and man, that is so fulfilling, that's so rewarding. But sometimes you're the one who's having to pull the rock out of the soil so that the soil can even be worked. Sometimes you're the one who's doing the planting, the watering. Regardless of the role you play, know that the efforts you put in are all for the purpose of seeing that brother or that sister restored. And that makes it worth the effort and the time. We just have to trust that our God is sovereign over all. In verse 10, Paul closes with, so as we have opportunity, 
Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. When we, when we see this, this word opportunity here, we have this image of if I hopefully am in the right place at the right time, the right circumstances present themselves, then I have the opportunity. It's finally created for me. However, there, there's no random act of kindness. I might bust your bubble with that. But there's no such thing as a random act of kindness, just a kind act of providence. See, God is sovereign over all. We know that he has laid out every detail of our life. And so there's nothing random to him. It's not by chance that you're here this morning. It's not by chance that maybe Risen Life is your church family. So knowing that God has perfectly orchestrated all things in our lives, we should live every day on mission for him, fully submitted to his plan. Every morning we should wake up and ask, God, what are we doing today? What do you have for me to do today? 2 Timothy 2.21 says that we are a vessel of honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. God has placed you in the job you're in, with the neighbors that you have, and especially the community of believers that you're around, to be a vessel to serve, a vessel for him to serve others and to bear one another's burdens. So my question then is what kind of seed are you sowing? I'm going to have the band come back up. And I ask this, as we kind of sit on that question, now I want you to Close your eyes, bow your head, and just think, what kind of seed am I sowing to those around me? Am I sowing a seed that will produce a healthy fruit? Or is the seed I'm sowing one that leads to destruction? Maybe, maybe you're at a place this morning where you say, you know, I do. You know, I, I have a life that is yielding to the Spirit. I can see the fruit in my life, and I am using that fruit to impact those around me. I want to encourage you guys, because that, that's where we need to be. But maybe you're in one of two other places. Maybe you're saying, you know, as I'm yielding to the Spirit, I still look internal with all that. I don't look to see how I can come alongside my brothers, my sisters, and carry that load with them, shoulder that burden. Or maybe you're that third place where you say, 
fruit in my life is just, it's not healthy. I sow these, these thoughts that are not glorifying to God. And therefore, the, the fruit that comes out of my life is unhealthy, destructive, and really, it's a waste. If that's you this morning, then I don't want you to have to carry that burden anymore. I don't want you to feel like you have to live in those shackles because Jesus has already gone to the cross. He's defeated the grave. And as we've seen in this study, you can live free in Him. Maybe as you're sitting here and examining the fruit in your life, you say, the fruit is bad because I have never surrendered that to Christ. this morning don't leave here without a heart fully surrendered to God and if that's where you're at if you're ready to say I want to give my life to Christ I want to make him Lord over my life then just say that to him There's no magical words that you could utter. There's nothing specifically that you can say, but rather it's the heart by which we cry out to God. But if you are saying, God, I want to give you my life today, then just to help you put that in the words. Pray, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for living a life to my glory. I'm sorry for living a life for me. And God, I lay that down before you. I take all my desires everything I hold on to and I surrender that to you. God, I want you to be Lord over my life. Forgive me for I have relied on myself and tried to make it about
Lord. If that was you this morning, if you're at a place where you are finally done running, surrender that life to Christ, and I simply want to know how I can celebrate that with, with you, how as a church body we can come around you and encourage you, how I can be praying for you. So if that's you this morning, we're going to move into a time of uh, prayer here in a second. Josh will be in the back. I'll be up here in the front. Come find one of us. Come say, hey, I just gave my life to Christ this morning. Because we want to celebrate that with you. But as we move into this time of prayer... you're sitting here and you want someone to pray with you like I said I'll be up here Josh will be in the back but we'll have the band will be playing but don't hear these words this morning and not do something about it as the band plays, we're going to kind of transition into a time of communion. And so as you're ready, you can make your way to the back table, grab a cracker and um, communion cup, and then come back to your seat and we'll, we'll take communion.